Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me in my home in McKinney, Texas. And thank you guys for coming from SoundCloud and GospelSavingChurch.com and wherever you come from all over the world. God bless you and thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to join me in a word of prayer, please, I would appreciate it. And let the Lord help me to be ready for today. Help our hearts today be ready for what he has to say, please. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for, Lord, we can't even understand your word, Lord, until you help us by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just thank you. I thank you that you help me understand your word by your Holy Spirit. And I pray you do the same for every person that's listening in this room and all over the world, Lord. I pray that you would help them by your Holy Spirit, wherever they are with you, whether they're in you, whether they're not in you, whether they have we're in you, and they, they're looking at coming back to you, Lord. I pray that you would help every one of us, Lord. <clears throat> Speak to us by your Holy Spirit and help us to know what you have to say to us today. And help us, Lord God, either to keep going or to grow stronger in you or whatever your will is for our lives, Lord God. Lead us and guide us. Lead me and guide me as I speak today. Help me, Lord, to deliver this message, Lord, the way you would want me to deliver it, Lord. And glory and honor, Lord, and praise unto you, for you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. Get us all ready, Lord. Prepare us for what you have to say today, Lord, and and help us to understand your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to finish out 1 John chapter 3. Next week we'll be in chapter 4, God willing. Um, if you want to be opening there again, 1 John chapter 3, 18 through 24, I'm going to go through my thoughts from last week's message for the sermon titled, The Thermometer. So last week I told you that one of the reasons that John wrote the things he did in his epistle was to help people know where they were with Jesus Christ either right with him or not right with him, like a thermometer. Hence the name of the sermon, the thermometer. Because a thermometer helps you figure out what your temperature is, whether you're too hot, whether you're too cold, or whether you're just right, whether your temperature is just right. And here John wrote this message, wrote this epistle, partly because he wanted to help us to know where our temperature was at in Jesus Christ. Good spiritual temperature. But although I believe that John wrote the things he did as a thermometer, a spiritual thermometer, though, I also believe that he wrote the way he did to help real Christians identify real Christians. So you could say he wrote to give a proper description or picture or standard for real believers to be able to identify other real believers by and to identify those who are not real believers. Why would he do this? Well, since before Christianity officially started, unto this very day, there have always been fakers or pretenders that professed to be God's spiritual children, but were not. Example of just one is all we need. I mean, I'm sure you have known people throughout your years, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, I know I have, of people that have been these fakers that I'm talking about here. Example of before uh, Christianity ever started, I mean, by that I mean before Christ died and resurrected and the official Christian religion ever started. So while Jesus was still on earth, we have Judas. He was one of the chosen 12. He walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He participated in almost almost four almost four Passovers. He saw the literal miracles of Christ and even identified as a follower of Christ. 
So you could say, and because he did, he looked, he acted, and he played the part of a Christian. Yet, he was not a spiritual child of God. How do we know? By the description, the picture or standard that Jesus Christ originally laid down for what a spiritual child of God was supposed to look like, and those who were not. Matthew 7, remember, verses 15 through 20, just a highlight of them. Jesus said, a good tree won't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree won't bear good fruit. And he said, you will know them by their fruits. So a spiritual child of God would be bearing great fruits for God's kingdom, as John's been talking about in his epistle. Here And a bad tree, you say a non-Christian, will be bearing bad fruits, as John's saying and he, as he's talked to us about so far. Uh, how do we know that you know, a Judas was not bearing good fruit? Um, look at the fruit he was bearing. Bible says that he was stealing from the group's money bag the entire ministry. He rebuked a desperately seeking woman who anointed Jesus one time. Wouldn't, wouldn't that... Wouldn't that anointing have been better to, you know, sold and then given to the poor, and, and he was rebuked. And in the end, he was Christ's betrayer. He was bearing evil and ungodly fruit, which is contrary to that of Christ. For, for, for God is love, and Christ and God are good, not evil. And yet Judas bore evil or bad fruit. And, and not just once either, he bore it consistently. Why would it be important today that real Christians be able to identify other real Christians and those who are not or those that are pretending? Why would it be good? Well, it helps us to know how to interact with others, how we treat them, and how we pray for them. The Bible says that the relationship a saved person is supposed to have with other saved people is different from that that of the relationship that they are have or they are to have with the unsaved or deceived person. Just a few to talk on. We're, we're not supposed to fellowship with those that are not Christians. Meaning by that is we're not supposed to go with them and commiserate with them and do the same things that they do because unbelievers or fakers, faker Christians, they, they're not striving to live holy lives. They're not striving to live Christ-like lives. And hence, as a Christian, you're supposed to be. So if you're fellowshipping, Paul says, what fellowship has light with dark? Christians are light, unbelievers and fakers are dark. And yet if we have fellowship, that light and that dark, usually a lot of times, as Solomon said, bad company corrupts good character. A lot of times the, the good light will end up getting darkened by the dark light if we have true fellowship with one another. To do something with or to eat with an unbeliever is okay as long as our intentions are, hey, I'm going to reach them for Christ. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do something that they're doing that's evil or wicked or whatever. I'm going to strive to live a holy life of Christ and then be an example to this person And as Jesus ate with unbelievers of his day. We're supposed to pray in a different way, obviously, for believers and unbelievers. Obviously, for a believer, I'd pray something like, God, build them up in you, make them strong in you, help them to, you know, help them to know you more. And for an unbeliever or someone that I set, you know, that I see that's professing Christ but living like the devil, of course, I'm going to pray, God, bring them out of the darkness and bring them into the light, Lord. Show them the path that they're really on because their life is true darkness and they're really not yours. And I, so I'd pray different for them. 
I had to talk to them different. We're supposed to talk to one another and build each other up as Christians with spiritual hymns and praises to God. You know, good things and, and powerful, godly things. And, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, man, Jesus is good. And, and you talk about the Lord and that's fellowship in the Lord. And to an unbeliever, you're a light to them. You can't share, you can't share uh, oh, God's been good to me. Oh, how's God been in your life? Because God does not work in their lives. I mean, as far as like the way he's working in your life. So you you talk to an unbeliever or a a faker or somebody that's deceived a little different. And then the Bible even says that if they're professing to be a Christian and they're and they're really like, but but yet they're really living like the devil, that we shouldn't even really eat with them. For them, therefore, we're kind of like sure we're kind of like helping them along to think that they're okay with God, and really they're not. So you see. It's different the way we're supposed to act. So it's good for us to know who's a believer and who's not a believer. And standards, which is what for, which is what John's doing in his epistle here, he's laying down standards. Hey guys, this is what a Christian looks like, and this is what a non-Christian or a faker looks like. Hey Christians do this, and hey non-Christians, hey this is what they're like. And so it's it's. I'm glad that John wrote the epistle so that he would help us know where we're at with God. But, and I'm also glad that John wrote the epistle to give us a standard because they're important to know what a real follower of Christ is supposed to look like. And that's all I have to say. Praise God. Let's uh, switch gears and move on to our new sermon. My title for our new sermon today is The Fickle Heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. Again, The Fickle Heart. Heart. So I'm going to read them. You can join me in reading along with me, or you can just listen along and then I'll teach them. So we start in verse 18. I go back one verse like I did last week. I finished verse 18, but I'm going back one verse just for context. John says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, he gave us, or as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John, last week, wrote us a good thermometer for us to be able to know if we're God's true spiritual children or not, and to help truly saved people identify other truly saved people. This week, in this section, John starts out, I started us out in the same, along the same lines. John starts out with the same material, then changes gears, but then comes right back to where he started. Verse 18, he said this again. My little children talking to Christians. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed or in truth. So God's spiritual children are known by their love. And again, not just any love, but a love that has action. Not just, oh, hey man, I love you, but rather not even in word, but rather a love by I'm going to show you 
I love you by my actions toward you. This action love John is describing here is really a put your money where your mouth is love. Because any person can profess that they love you, but unless their love has action to it, it's not true biblical love and the love a spiritual child of God is supposed to have for others. You see, I have exhibited this type of love. My mother and father are sick and they were living on their own for a while and God put it on my heart and showed me that they were in need of assistance. So I told them I love them, but then I told them more how I love them because as they were sick and needing assistance, I actually moved them into my home so I could help take care of them and I could assist them. So I didn't just love them by my words, oh mom and dad, I love you so much. I loved my mom and dad by my actions. I put my money where my mouth is in my love and I helped them out by compromising my home and moving them into my home and lots of changes had to be made because I have two children and a wife and and you you see the love that I showed was a put your money where your mouth is love instead of a just a word of mouth love. Why did John say to love this way? Well, we look back to verse 16, and John said this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. This is why John wrote that real Christians should have the put your money where your mouth is love, and that's why I did what I did, and that's why John wrote what he did, because we saw Jesus love that way. And this is again how a true child of God is known by their action type of love. Look at the first part of verse 19. John says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. Here in the first part of 19, John says a little bit different than what he said in verse 10. Verse 10, he said this, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So John said here, this, this we know, because we have this action love for one another, that we're really of God. Just like verse 10, he just kind of swung around to it. He kind of just is repeating himself here just in a different way. And so it is a true saying, God's real, true spiritual children are known by their love for others. And again, this love is not just a superficial love or a, wor- a love by word, but a real and true Put your money where your mouth is, love. I love that saying. God gave me that saying. I'm repeating it somewhat in the sermon. I hope you don't mind. It's true. So by someone having this type of love, John just said, we know we're of God's truth. Do you have that type of love for others? Do you have an action love for others? Or do you have a word love for others. Here we are at that thermometer again. We always have to be looking to ourselves and to ourselves. And so not only do we have this love and that helps us know that we're of God's truth, but then also John gives us a secondary kind of like more than just knowing. He says in the second part of verse 10, of verse 19, he says not only shall we know, but we shall assure our hearts before him. So if we have the put your money where your mouth is love, not only does it help us know we're in God's truth, but it assures our hearts or our inner persons before God. The word for assure in Greek is patheo, and it's defined as to trust, 
to have confidence, to be confident. So this action love is a proof to a Christian, to themselves. That's what John said, assure our hearts before them, not to assure anybody else here. We're not looking at assuring the world or assuring our family, but assurance to ourselves. Am I really a child of God? Am I really God's child? Do I really fit the bill? John says here that we can assure our hearts before him. Well, we can have deep confidence, be confident fully, trust fully that we are really God's kids if we have an action type of love for others. This put your money where your mouth is love makes our hearts, minds, and inward persons confident before God that we are truly saved and walking with Christ. But you may be saying, why? Why does it do this? Well, you see, real, true, saving faith in Christ. The faith that saves. There is faith that doesn't save. There is a belief that doesn't save. People, a lot of people believe in Jesus. Believe and faith are synonymous. Faith is a deeper word, but belief and faith in Scripture are almost kind of synonymous. You can flop, flip them back and forth, flip, flop them back and forth. I believe in the Son. I believe in a lot of things, but that belief doesn't save me. But if I put my faith, which my total trust in God, that's, that's the saving faith that God wants us to have. And this real, true, saving faith in Christ will produce, all caps on that, with a highlight, real good works. Again, all caps highlighted. Real, true, saving faith will produce real good works. And the put your money where your mouth is love that John's talking about here is a real, live, good work that proves to you that you are really God's child and that you really have a true saving faith. John talked about having this confidence in this epistle, chapter 2, verse 28. He says, and now little children, abide in him. There we go. Having faith, truly trusting, abiding in Christ that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he says, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. There we go again. There's that saving faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Salvation, that is. We all have faith. Everybody has faith. Even the, even the person, the aborigine that lives in the jungle in the middle of nowhere, he still has a type of faith. He doesn't have saving faith unless he truly seeks God and then God will give him he help him that, that faith to become saving faith. But anyway, uh, and that not of yourselves. The salvation is a gift of God. It's not of works, least any man should boast, because you can't work for your salvation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good godly works, I shall say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, there's a real simple equation God's given me for salvation. Real simple. A lot of the world, most of the world, I'd say the majority of the world has it wrong. But here from that verse, from that, I should say from that section from Paul, we get this equation. We have God's grace, 
which is the free gift of salvation that he pours out to all mankind. And that goes over the whole world. For God so loved the world, which means everybody in the world, that he gave his only begotten son, right? So God's free gift, his grace. That's the first, that's the first part. Then we have plus. What does it take to be saved? Because just because God loves us doesn't mean that we're saved. Just because God has grace and he gave his only son, only begotten son, Jesus, doesn't make everybody saved. So God gave his grace. What, what does it take to be saved? Plus faith. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. So plus your faith. You put your faith in that. You put your total trust in Jesus Christ and your total surrender unto Jesus Christ. And then that equals good works and salvation. Or I should say salvation and then good works. Because salvation always comes before the good works. Because salvation has to come before good works. Not the other way around. The other way around is heresy. Oh, I can do these good things, God's grace, and then I can work for it really good. This is heresy, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what mostly fills the world. This is what Catholicism is all about. This is what Islam is all about. This is what Hinduism is all about. This is what the major religions of the world are all about. Hey, God, oh God, he's great. Now I got to appease him. Now i got to do these good works so that I can please God. Oh, and then maybe, just maybe, he'll accept me. But yet we don't see that. We see God's grace, plus our putting our faith in what he did for us. Putting our confidence, our trust in what he did for us. And then by that, the Bible says, ye shall be saved. Not the other way around. And by that, and since we were created for good works, when Christians are abiding in Christ in total faith, then, as I just said, good works, including loving others with the action love, will come out of us, and this will be an assurance to our inner man that we are really saved. Now, all I can say of this assurance that these, that all of us saved people have because of the put your money where your mouth is love is this. Boy, oh boy, we need it. I know I need it. I know I need this assurance that I get from this happening in my life. And I I shouldn't say I need it. My spirit man doesn't need it. I should say my inner man. Our inner people, our physical understanding person, they need it. Because you see, everybody is two different types of people. We're a physical person that we have, and that's the outward skin that you see. But then we're an inner man too. We're a spiritual man. And so our brains think, but then if, we're, if we've been saved, and really even if you haven't been saved, you still have a soul and a spirit, your soul, your spirit has a different kind of thought process. And your spirit, that doesn't think about, he, doesn't, he or she doesn't think about TVs and cars and couches and all this other stuff. He thinks about things spiritually. In the physical man, well, he thinks about physical things. In the physical man, that's why John said here that by these good works that come out of us, it would assure our hearts before God. Our physical man really needs this, you know, assurance that we are really saved. Why? Look at verse 20. For John writes, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And I can say this, boy, oh boy, don't our physical human understanding man or heart, don't they often condemn us on a daily basis? I know mine does on a daily 
basis. Jeremiah spoke of this heart of our inner man in 17.9, and he said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know us? Why do our hearts work against us like this? There's multiple reasons. Number one, there's the reason of the physical man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. So the physical man has struggles with understanding God's ways and understanding the things and the spiritual things that we do, the sacrifices that we make for God. The physical man's going, why are you getting up early to pray, man? I want to go back to bed. I'm tired, right? That's the physical man. But then there's another, there's another side of it that, that why the, our hearts are so deceptive and why our hearts are so wicked and why our hearts are so, you say, fickle. Right? As the title of the sermon, The Fickle Heart. Well, you see, the devil has a lot to do with it. He and his minions go about daily, and any time any Christian commits any sin or does anything that's outside of the character of Christ, they whisper in your ear and they try to bring condemnation upon you. Bible says in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before our God day and nights. Our hearts, John says here, or our inner man eats them up, eats those words up. What does this look like in reality for a real Christian? Well, let's say this. You sin in a way at a time, right? Why? why? Well, don't say that in church. No, no, everybody sins. Everybody sins. Some people make a practice of sinning, Other people just commit sin sometimes. Let's say you lie. Let's say you treat someone in a mean, hurtful, or hateful way. You yell and scream at those you love, especially maybe your wife or your children. Maybe at a time you use a foul or profane word. Or you have an outburst of wrath. Because, man, that driver, that guy in the car, oh, he really made me mad. Or you really get angry with someone for some stupid, no good reason. Just maybe out of the passion of a moment that you're in, right? Or maybe, just maybe, you've been harboring some unforgiveness in your heart against someone because they hurt your feelings or for whatever reason. Or maybe, just maybe, especially for guys on this one, you you look at that really pretty gal and you go, oh man... And you think a lustful thought about her in your heart. And etc, etc, etc. The list could go on. So either way, you commit a sin. You do something that's wrong in God's eyes. And please understand here, I'm not talking about living in the practice of these sins as a perpetual way of life. Because there is condemnation, as the Bible says, to hellfire to those who practice a sinful lifestyle. Despite what you profess, despite, despite if you think you've been saved, or maybe you even have been saved, but you've turned back to your fleshly ways and you're practicing, the Bible says any that practice sin will be going to hell. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter anything else. If you make a practice of sin, you're on your way to hell. So I'm not, I'm not talking about here for our fickle hearts, for real Christians, for those that are abiding in Christ actively. I'm talking about you, you are truly walking with Christ by faith. You're striving to live like him. You're striving to keep his commandments. You're striving to love others, right? With the put your money where your mouth is love, right? And then, oh, boom, you just blow it. Because as I said, everybody blows it and sins sometimes. Well, then God's Holy Spirit should start speaking to you. 
right? And telling you you've sinned and, and that you're wrong and then you're in need of repentance. And then he's going to what do what? If you're a real Christian, you know this. He's going to try to lead you there because that's what God's Holy Spirit does. Tries to lead you to repentance after you've done these things. And hopefully your response to his voice should be to tell God you're sorry. Ask him for forgiveness while repenting or stopping from doing the sin that you had committed in a relatively short amount of time after it happened. And when we do this, the good news is, is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's awesome news. And so this is what God tells us to do so we stay clean and right in his eyes before him. And that's it. That's that. And that's right. That's exactly what happens. And are we forgiven? Absolutely. We're clean. We've maybe committed a sin. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Boom, we confess that sin. We ask God for forgiveness. Boom, it's all gone. Even if we think about the sin we committed last week and we never repented of it and we never said, I'm sorry, God. Even when we do that, God says, yeah, boom, all right, you're done. You're clean. Praise God. And that's how it's supposed to work. And then you get right back up on the horse and then you start striving again to live like Christ again and then you keep going until, boop, you fall off the horse again. But... Unfortunately, there are other beings that also see you sin. And they would be the devil and his fallen angels. And they have something else to say to you when you blow it. And then especially when you start to pray and repent and ask God for forgiveness. They come into your ear and they start whispering unforgiveness. And they start whispering condemnation into your ear. You can well, if you were a real Christian, how dare you do that? Dot dot dot. If you were really saved, uh finish it out, right? Oh, you've committed that sin before. You God's never going to forgive you of that one. Dot dot dot, right? We all know, we've all heard the whispers, we've all heard the words. And it's easy to believe the things that they say because they sound so real. I mean, after all, I blew it. How could God ever forgive me of that one? Well, by golly, if I were God, I'd oh, boom, plunge him to hell. Right? And so that's what we think. And so it's really, it's like God speaking to us. We think because the Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so many times our hearts eat up that condemnation. Our hearts eat up that I can't be forgiven. Oh, God must be done with me. But does God really forgive us when we repent and ask him for forgiveness again? I say, absolutely. That's why Christ came, to be the propitiation for our sins, to take our sins upon him so that we would be clean. But do we always feel forgiven after we confess and after we repent and after we stop? Many times my, I don't know about your, many times my heart condemns me and I struggle with that forgiveness. I don't know. Oh, praise God, I'm forgiven. I still have remorse. Oh, Lord, I can't believe I did that. What an idiot. I I, I know I even know not to do that. When you've told me about that before, I did it again. But the Word of God 
as long as we're not making a willful practice of that sin and we're striving to follow Christ and we're striving to keep his commandments. And the Bible says once we confess and repent, God makes us clean. We're all clean. We're all forgiven. But I can tell you something powerful that helps me often to believe that I am forgiven and still standing right with Christ. And that is this, what John wrote here, the awesome assurance I get because of the good, godly, spiritual fruit that I see come out of me, including the put your money where your mouth is, love, as John wrote in verse 19. Look at verse 21, where John kind of says something kind of confusing. He says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So wait a minute. Verse 20, he just said, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And verse 21, he said, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. What? How can both these statements be true? How can they? How can both these statements be true? What is John saying here? Well, herein lies the title to the whole sermon. I believe he's saying here, our hearts are fickle. The heart, as I said earlier, is your inner man, your inner woman, your inner understanding, your, your mental, your human person that you are. And, and I know, as all of you may already know, that one moment I can feel great and spiritually as high as a kite in Christ. Right? I mean... Praise God, he did a good work, had a good time of prayer. Man, I, I helped that guy out on the street, or oh, boom, I did. Man, praise the Lord. And the next moment, because of some stupid thing I just did, I can feel like, how can I be a real Christian? How can God really love me? But it's important to know and remember that no matter how we may feel because of our fickle hearts, if we are continuing to abide in Christ by faith. And I mean standing upon him as our rock, continuing to run to him as our refuge, and not willfully living in a sinful way of life, then we are okay in God's eyes under no condemnation, and we can be confident toward God despite how our fickle hearts may go back and forth like the waves of the sea being tossed to and fro. And we don't have to be tossed to and fro like the waves of that sea by every feeling of our fickle hearts that they may have because they change sometimes for me, moment by moment, day by day. I don't know about you. Now, it's important. Now, now excuse me. Why is it so important to stand strong in our faith and have confidence in our hearts in Christ? Because John just said we can have hearts that condemn us and then we can have hearts that are confident toward Christ. Why is it so important to stand so strong in our faith and have a confident heart toward Christ, despite the, we, the way we may feel at any given time? Because of our evil, fickle hearts. Enter the new idea for the sermon. I'm going to read verses 21, 22, and 23 because they're all taken together. And then I'll, I'll show you what John is saying. He says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and... Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Putting all three of these things together for context purposes, we see John writing this. If a Christian prays with a confident heart toward God, he will receive his prayers that he asks from God. 
and also because we're obedient to the faith, obedient to keep his commandments, obedient to do the things that please him, which are to believe on Jesus Christ or, or what? Not just believe, but to have total faith and confidence in Christ's finished work on the cross and to love one another. John, James even says in James 5.16, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the reason it's so important to have a confident heart and to keep a confident heart is because as we pray in faith, we know that God hears our prayers, and as we continue to have those good works come out of us, and as our hearts are continually assured, then we know God hears our prayers, and we're not doubting when we pray, and then God hears because God answers the prayer of faith. So now, there is a bad side to this section of Scripture, though, and I must cover it. Is John really saying here that as long as we're obedient to keep God's commandments, have total confidence in Christ, and love one another, we can ask for whatever we want in prayer, like the Scripture says, and God will just give it to us? Is that really what John is saying? Oh, Lord, I need that big house in Beverly Hills. Woo! Hallelujah! Lord, I need that big old Mercedes Benz and that Rolls Royce. Hallelujah, give it to me, Lord. Is that really what John is saying here in this section of Scripture? Well, there is a terrible belief system in our world that claims to be a Christian one and believes this stuff. But when you take the context of the Bible as a whole, you find that Jesus Christ and the Bible have a different message. Look at these scriptures where Jesus, there's two of them where Jesus adds a little bit extra to what John says here in this epistle. And then we have an actual real life prayer request that God didn't answer by one of the most mighty men of God in the whole Bible. Look at what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says the same thing but adds to it. He says, whatever you ask in my name that I will do. Now, if we just stop there, hey, Jesus just said whatever I pray for, hey, I'm going to get it. Lord, give me whatever I want. Genie, 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 genie. Come on, Lord, give it off. Print me that money. Let's go. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we see there that it's not just asking whatever we want and God is our genie and then we just get whatever we want from God. We, we find that we can pray and ask Jesus that if the prayer is to glorify the Father in the Son. Look at John 15, 7 through 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's important. Because if his words are abiding in you, God doesn't care about Mercedes Benzes and big houses and Beverly Hills and Rolls Royces and all that crap. God cares about spiritual things. So you're not even going to be asking for the things of the flesh and the, the, the things, oh, I just must have because I just got to have them because I'm making a faith confession or a profession. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Well, sure, if God's words are in you and you're praying whatever God wants you to pray, you're not going to... Yes, I said, you're not going to be praying for the crap of this world. You're going to be praying for his kingdom. For by this, Jesus said, my father is glorified that you bear, that you bear much fruit so you may be my disciples. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, this is Paul. One of the greatest characters, men of the Bible, period. Now, if anybody did God's will, 
and loved others and did what God wanted and had total faith in Christ, there wouldn't be hardly one character more in the Bible other than Jesus that I'd say, hey, Paul did it. Paul was that man. Paul loved others. Paul preached on love. Paul did whatever God wanted. Paul died for Christ. Paul suffered for Christ. Paul, man, he would be the one that would get anything he asked for in prayer, right? Not quite. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, Paul says, At least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I be exalted above measure. Verse 8, Concerning this thing, whatever God did to him, that this, this suffering thing that he had that God actually gave to him, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Oh, so whatever it was, it was with him and it was hurting him and it was bothering him and he hated it being with him. And so he wanted God to get rid of it. He wanted God to get rid of it so that he prayed three times, God, take this thing from me. And he, God, said to me, Sorry, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I rather boast in my infirmities, so this was a type of a sickness, than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, if I can just pray for whatever I want in Scripture, and I'm nowhere near Paul, I don't know about you, what you think of yourself, I'd I'd, I'd venture to say that you don't think that you're anything like Paul either. Paul didn't get all his prayers answered, so therefore, because his prayer didn't glorify God, God didn't answer his prayer, and therefore God only answers those prayers that are his will and that glorify him. So when you look at the same ideas in Scripture, you find out that God will not just give you anything you want in prayer, no matter how confident you may be in Him, or no matter how much faith you may have, He only grants, as I said again, those things that you ask that are according to His will and that bring Him glory. So John isn't saying in 1 John 3 here that God will just give you whatever you ask in prayer. You know, as I said, expensive cars, houses, big monies, or whatever, when you have confident and sure heart before Him. The guarantee to answered prayers comes when you ask in Jesus Christ's name, having confidence in your heart and being obedient to His Word, loving others, and just producing godly fruit for God. And then those things that you ask the Lord, lead my prayers. I want to pray the things that you know glorify you, and then you can expect God to answer those prayers when you're obedient, when you ask things that glorify Him. So many have misused the Bible as just a name-it-claim-it book, and I, I just can pray for whatever I want, and God is bound by His Word, they'll tell you. He's bound by His Word to answer your prayer if you have faith. Because of sections like 1 John 3, 21-23, but unfortunately, God in the Bible has a really different message and most are so unwilling to hear the truth that I just spoke to you today. So John doesn't spend a lot of time there on that idea. Look at our last verse of today. When he comes to a full circle or back to where he started, uh, John says this, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, in other words, the person who keeps the commandments of God or fully trusts in Christ with all their hearts, 
relying and depending totally on him. Despite how fickle their hearts may feel at any moment of any day, abide or live in Christ as he will abide and live in us. And this is how we know that he abides in us, by the spirit he's given us, or by the fact that he's made us born again by his spirit. And of course, as I've said before, being born again means that John is saying here, goes right back to what really a true child of God is in verse 10. In this, the child of God and the child of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness or whoever doesn't strive to live that Christ-like life because they've been born again. Because you can only live that Christ-like life, that striving to live that Christ-like life, unless you're born again. A person of the world can strive to live biblically, but not as Christ lived. Nor does he not love his brother or have that actions love toward humanity. That put your money where your mouth is, love toward humanity. And as I mentioned earlier, the true, the real true faith of Christ, and I will add the faith that causes us to be born again, will, all caps highlight, will produce good godly works, like the good godly works of the action love that God expects and gives his children to act toward all humanity. And that striving to live a life that honors and follows Christ as goes on with verse 10, what it said. Now, John started out one way, changed course, but then went right back to where he started, which means that it's important. So to those of you who are listening to this message, who are truly and have truly been born again, you're continuing to abide in Christ by total faith, uh, despite your fickle hearts that we often deal with day in and day out, I just want to close to you with some words from Paul. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8. He says this, Therefore, starting in 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. No matter how much your fickle heart condemns you, if you're having total trust and faith in Christ, there is no condemnation to you. And he goes on to say that This no condemnation goes for those who are in Christ, but also who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if you are truly continuing to abide in Christ by total trusting faith, and by this I mean utter dependence, Christ is it. He's all I've got. Like Peter said, Jesus, where else could I go? You're all I've got. Then he wants you to, to have confidence in him. And he wants you not to be condemned. And let's say, I'm not talking about you're not falling into the practice of living in sin and the lusts of your flesh, because if you are, you're not in Christ. Can't just be in Christ by faith. James says, show me your faith by your works. I will show you my faith by my works, okay? It doesn't matter if you say that you trust in him if you serve your flesh. If you serve your flesh, but say you trust in Christ, then really you fall into Matthew 6 where Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. So there is no condemnation to those who are in 
Christ. So if you're totally abiding in Christ with the total trust and utter dependence he wants you to have on him, and you are walking according to God's Spirit, striving to follow Jesus Christ, abstaining from the practice of any of your sinful, lustly pleasure flesh, then to your fickle heart you can say this when it starts to bash you because you stumbled in some sin at one point or you just blew it one day, right? Or, or just because nobody's perfect like, you know, like Christ. God, oh man, I blew it. I'm so sorry, God. You can say this to your fickle heart. You can say, shut your mouth. All caps highlight it too. Shut your mouth, you deceitful and wicked heart, as Jeremiah called it in 17.9. And... Stop bringing condemnation on me because I am the Lord's and the Lord is mine. And you will not cause me to doubt who I am in Christ anymore. And you can know that truly, if your fickle heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. And you can know that you stand right in God's eyes and that you're saved and that you can have confidence in your heart of hearts. You're a physical man. Oh man, I belong to God. And when you pray, you can know that God hears your prayers and that he's working on the prayers that you pray to make sure that you pray them in his will. Because if he abides in you or if you abide in him, then he's going to abide in you and his words are going to abide in you too. And then you can have confidence that God is there with you and he's working out your prayers and he's working out your salvation with you, fear and trembling as you should be. And hallelujah, that's good news for us today. But don't ever stop fighting the good fight of faith and don't ever stop telling your fickle heart to shut its mouth. Because I've done this. This has been such a revelation for me this week as I've studied for this sermon. Because this has been a huge battle of mine. Always feeling condemned. Not, not doing hardly anything wrong, but always feeling condemnation. I know it's not from Christ, but you forget. And I, I don't know if you've forgotten, but it's been such a refresher for me. Hey, I'm not condemned. I'm in Christ. And my heart is assured, but hey, look at all the good godly things that are coming out of me. And if that's you then praise God, you can have confidence and and your heart of hearts and your inner man and your fickle heart that you belong to God, that you are the Lord's and the Lord is yours, right? Now, if you've never been saved or or you've been saved, but you've fallen back away from Christ into doubt or sin, then please consider your choice and whom you have turned away from. There will never be a better one to commit your life and soul to than Jesus Christ. He formed your heart. He made your inward man. He created all things, and the Bible says that he holds all things together. He loves you more than you could ever know and wants you to put your trust in him or back in him, and he wants you to walk with him and live in him so he can walk with you and live in you. And so he can reveal his love to you daily as you continue to walk and put your faith in him daily. Please come to him or back to him. You don't know what you're missing by either not walking with Jesus or walking away from Jesus. He is awesome. I hope you would consider it. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for 
your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for understanding. Thank you so much, Lord God, for helping us to understand what you have to say to us today. I thank you, Lord, for the whole counsel of your word, Lord God. As many have tried to come into this world and, and tried to come into the, into the Christian church and, and, and have succeeded in, in taking down many churches and believing this, this name it, claim it stuff and, and all this other stuff that all these churches believe in nowadays, Lord God. I mean, it's, it's not true, but I thank you, Lord, for your word, that we have the whole counsel of your word, Lord God, that we can see these erroneous doctrines, that we can see these erroneous and these, these error-filled teachings of others, Lord God, that we don't have to follow them. I thank you, Lord God, for all that are listening to this message, Lord, that they got to hear the truth today. Maybe they didn't know these things today already, but now they do, Lord. And it's just your word. My, my, my sermons, Lord, I, I, you just make me, Lord, we litter them with your word. It's not just my words, Lord. It's just full of your scripture. Lord, just words that you speak, Lord, words that you've said and words that lead people to truth. So, Lord, I just pray for those of us that are out there that are yours, Lord. I pray that you'd strengthen them, Lord, in you. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to walk with more confidence in you, Lord. Help us to walk with more assurance of our inner man, our heart of hearts, Lord, before you, Lord, as we see the good works that have come out of us from us being saved. And I pray, Lord God, that we would have that total confidence, being confident fully, Lord, that we're yours by all the good things that we've seen come out of our lives. That, Lord, that maybe even when as we're striving for Christ, as I do a daily, as we fall, I blew it. Hey, we can repent and confess and get right back on the horse and we're forgiven. And we can tell our fickle hearts to shut their mouths. Please, Lord, help us to do that. And, Lord, I pray for those out there listening that have maybe walked away from Christ. Or maybe they thought they were in Christ, but they live a life of sin and a life of practice of sin in sinful ways, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you'd wake them up today, Lord. Show them, Lord God, that your word says that we must abide in you in faith, but also, Lord, not walking according to the lusts of our flesh, Lord. Help them to see, Lord, that salvation is really turning to you and away from our evil, sinful, wicked, sin-filled lives, Lord, that we're all stuck in before you free us and save us. And Lord, please bring all those that have either walked away from you or never known you, Lord, or those that are maybe deceived and they thought they knew you, but now they know they don't. Lord, I pray you'd bring them to their knees and help them to realize, Lord God, your love is greater than any sin that they could pleasure their flesh with. And I pray, dear God, that they would start abiding in Christ and not walking according to the sins of their flesh, but Lord, walking according to the Spirit. Please, God, help them. Help them to either come to you or help them come back to you. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, Lord. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.